as we've been doing for the last few weeks, uh, we have been hearing uh, Daniel speak on many of these psalms, and we're going to continue tonight with Psalm 2. We have decided that y'all are ready for level 2. So instead of just singing the psalm once in preparation for the lesson, we're going to actually sing it twice. We're going to sing it right now in preparation for the lesson, and then after we've had uh, Daniel's lesson and spent some time in the Word dwelling in the psalm, we're going to sing it again uh, after he's finished. I think it's going to be a very rewarding experience. Good job. You've earned it. Let's stand together, uh, and let's sing uh, Psalm 2 to the tune many of y'all know, This Is My Father's World. Good evening. Luke is doing an awesome job. 
Amen? Thank you for that. That is so encouraging. And as he said, we, we got together this week, and he said, what do, you, what do you think about us doing the psalm again at the end? And I was like, that's, that's exactly uh, what I was wanting to do. And it is, I mean, these are, this is Holy Spirit-inspired singing. The Lord inspired these. You Sometimes when someone sings the first, second, and fifth verse of a song, or you may get someone that says, hey, don't you know you're supposed to sing all of them? These are, these are uh, well, those, a lot of times those songs are just man-made songs. These aren't. This is from the Holy Spirit, every part of it. And this psalm is an incredibly powerful psalm. Let's look at it together. You, you look around and world governments and world leaders, you, you get the idea in Romans 13 that their purpose and their function as God designed them, God, God designed government. God came up with the idea of government. It is not a man-made thing. It says, the, in Romans 13, it says the very idea of government, the very concept of government and having someone in authority is a God-given idea. There is authority and structure in heaven. There's a government in heaven, and there is a government on earth, and God ordains it. God sovereignly wields it, and God does things with it that maybe you and I will never see or know until future glory, but it's from him. God in Romans 13 gave these governing authorities essentially to punish wrongdoers and to reward doers of good. That is the purpose, according to Romans 13, for these governments as God designed them. And just like God has designs for us individually and the way that we should function, we have the freedom and we have the ability to not live according to those God-designed functions. We have the ability to go and behave and misbehave and to uh, conduct ourselves rightly or to misconduct ourselves. And the same thing is true of governments. You look all through world history and you see world governments. You see kings, you see presidents, you see dictators, you see emperors not functioning as God designed them to function. And the psalmist is looking at this, and he's wondering about it. That's, that's why he opens with this rhetorical question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? You get the idea of anger. You get the idea of a world power that wants to overtake that wants to go beyond the reins and the authorities that God gave the first temptation of man is the temptation that every governing authority ever has and it is to go beyond what God designed and what God ordained God put Adam and Eve in their place and Satan said God doesn't want God only wants you to stay in your place because he doesn't want you to be like him and so Adam and Eve went beyond their reach. Babel is the same. 
God designed that man would come to God in his terms, in his way, and yet you come to the city of Babel, and they said, we will build a tower to heaven. We will ascend there by our might and by our prowess. And we know what happened there at Babel. God came down and he confused them. And the same thing happens. The same exact thing happens throughout history in world governments. The psalmist says here, Why do the nations rage and the Gentiles plot in vain? So his, he has this why question. And he begins by giving two answers. Why is it this way that you have whole nations, it seems, whole people groups, whole countries that seem to be against the design and the pattern and the scheme of the living God? Why is it that way? And the very first thing that he speaks to is those who are in authority. The first reason for this is because the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, against his anointed. The first reason for why a whole nation and a whole people would go the wrong direction is because those overseeing them, those leading them, are not good leaders. Look at the history of Israel. Think about the power and the influence of a good king. What happened across the country of Israel when the king was a good king, when he was a righteous king? When there was a good judge, when there was a righteous judge? What happened? They flourished. The people flourished. People do well under good leadership. When the leadership is bad, the people go astray. And the second reason for why the people groups and the nations are this way is bad thinking. They have bad philosophies. There's bad leadership, and then there's bad philosophies. Because notice what the philosophy of the leaders was. The philosophy from the leaders trickles down to the people. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, this is speaking to God and his things that he's ordained and his law and what he would call righteous and the expectations of God. There are the kings and their bad kings and the idea that's being promoted there. How is it that they're looking on God? How is it that they're looking on the rule of God? What do they see it as? What terms do they use? They say, these are bonds. These are cords. And it's the same lie that has been lied to us from the beginning, and it is that self-discipline under God is shackles. Being under the reign of God means you'll be imprisoned. It will keep you from being your full self. It will keep you from being your authentic self. It's the same lie that's always been told. If you really want to be free, you need to be free from all law. 
You need to be free to do anything and everything that you so desire. This is the lie from the very beginning. And those who've gone down the path of vice, excuse me, those who've gone down the path of self-liberation, throwing away the cords of God, as they call them, throwing away the patterns and schemes of God, throwing away the law of God, where do they end up? Vice, which is what? Have you ever used a vice grip? You ever put something in a vice? It's, I've done some woodworking with my dad, and we used them a lot. And you get that wood in there so tight that it cannot move. The wood glue can dry, and you can... When someone's in a, bound by vice, they're not free, are they? It's, it's stunning to me that this lie is repeated over and over again. If, if we want to be free, we should get rid of all law. We should get rid of all restraints. And the thing that we know, this is bad thinking. The thing that we know is that the pathway to true freedom is self-discipline. True freedom is having an opportunity before you like a fruit that God said not to eat and to refrain from it. That's true freedom. There's true joy found there as well. And part of the work of the church is to promote this to the world. And we have nature on our side, and we have many, many lessons through the ages on our side that prove this point. Self-discipline is the path to freedom. Obedience to the law of God is the path to freedom. And the reason why is because God made us to be free under his reign. He did not make us to be free out of his reign. But this is the thinking of the peoples. There's bad leadership and there is bad thinking. And notice the way that God thinks about this. Look down on our land. Leadership is in disarray. Across, across the political spectrum. Leadership is in complete disarray. It doesn't matter where you fall. It, it's in complete disarray. There's godlessness, deception, self-promotion, quid pro quo, all over the place. We look at these things and we see them. We see the things that are promoted. We see the ideas that are promoted. We see the laws that are enacted. We see the things that are put before the people to say, this is a good thing, this is a good thing, you should do these things. We see bad leadership, and we see bad thinking. And our, we see these things, and our, the instinct is to see it and to fear it. To see it and to get really antsy about it. Because I certainly don't like that leader. And I certainly don't like the things that he's promoting. And the instinct is to be fearful of it. And the instinct is to think, you know, some, the ways that people react to it. There's so many ways that people react to it. But through the ages, some people said, well, we're going to, you know, there'll be revolution. We'll do, it, we'll do it that way. This is interesting to me. As these things are happening, there's bad leadership. They're bad kings. And they're, they're 
the kings are promoting an idea that goes across to all the peoples, and the idea is law of God is bad. It's a cord. It's a bond. It's a shackle. It'll keep you bound. You won't be able to be your liberated, true, authentic self. And it, and it pervades the thinking of the peoples. This is, this is not good. It's not the design of God. But notice God's posture from heaven as he's seeing these things take place. What does the text say? He who sits in the heavens, what is he doing? He laughs. In fact, the Lord holds them in derision. What's that mean? What does it mean to deride somebody? Can you think of a synonym? It means to mock. It means to jeer at. The Hebrew word he uses can be translated in both of those ways. Almighty, just imagine Almighty God in heaven seeing the children of man wishing to break the cords of God, seeing God in all the wrong ways, and thus making plans to do evil things. And God sees it from heaven, and he laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. The Lord mocks them for it. And there's this amazing reality that we see over and over and over and over again through the scriptures. And it is the supreme sovereignty of our God. Sovereign enough to give you the freedom to choose the path of righteousness or the path of corruption and to know ahead of time which of those ways you will go and then, knowing the path that you will go, even in you making the wrong choice, God knowing it ahead of time, working it and folding it into his great scheme. Why is God mocking? Why is he laughing? Are the children of man able to break the world free of God's law? Is any man able to do it? No. In fact, in man's attempt to do it, God, knowing that they would do it, allows them to fall immediately into his plan. And in this psalm, that is to bring the king of the world and to enthrone him. God sees them, and notice what it says. He will speak to them in his wrath. So he's not, it's not a, I think this is funny kind of laughter. It's the kind of laughter that you have when you're so angry about something that you kind of snicker. This is God. And it says he will terrify them in his fury. Notice these words. God is wrathful. God is furious. He's deriding. He's mocking. And this is what he says. They're saying over here, let us, here's our plan, people. Let's get together, kings of the earth. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They think they have the ability to do it. And the reason why they think they have the ability to do it is because the father of all lies thinks he has the ability to do it. You remember when Jesus 
went into the wilderness to be tempted. When he went into the wilderness to be tempted, the final temptation, Satan brought him to the high mountain. What did Satan show him? Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give these all to you. I'll give all of them to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And yet, who held those in his hands? Who holds the nations? Who wields the nations? Who is sovereign over all things but our great God? So God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You remember when Judas was uh, the last supper and they were gathered around and they were having the bread and the wine and Judas was a part of this and Jesus said on this very night one of you is going to betray me and you know the others are saying it's not me it certainly wouldn't be me is it Jesus said what's the one who dips his uh, his bread with me and it was it was Judas and shortly afterward what did Jesus say to him he said you know do what you must do do what you've set out to do do what you've planned to do and it says that Satan entered Judas heart Satan went into his heart whose desire was it to kill the king of the whole world Satan's Satan desired it Satan said Judas sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver deliver him over let's get him crucified let's rid him from the world Satan really believed that he could do it Satan was the one and yet what was God's intention and what was God's plan all through the Bible God's plan was to coronate his king as king after a death and a resurrection that was the plan of God so you have the greatest wickedness that's ever been committed ever to kill God in the flesh and God was able to use that great wickedness which was the greatest wickedness ever for the greatest good that's ever come how sovereign is our God you remember when Joseph's brothers uh, betrayed him and they sold him into slavery? And what was it that what was it that they uh, what was their heart's intention in that action? Was it for good? Was it to unfold some great scheme? It was jealousy. They hated their brother and they sold him. And you remember at the very end of Genesis when they finally come and they see him face to face he's second in power really in all the world at the time there in Egypt and what did Joseph say to his brothers he said what you meant for evil God meant for good imagine the sovereignty of God to be able to see the wickedness of man with bad leadership and with totally corrupted philosophies and ideologies that pervade the people and the ability of God to use that for his great good. God is sovereign. He can know ahead of time 
Joseph's brothers are going to do this. And my intention is that Joseph, because God had given Joseph the dream, my intention is that Joseph's going to have one day all the peoples will bow down to him as the great leader over Egypt. And God's intention was for him to be there, for God's people to be there in the midst of famine, and for it all to work out this way. Imagine the great sovereignty of God to be able to do that. Imagine the great sovereignty of God to see the wickedness of Judah's heart, the wickedness of Caiaphas, the wickedness of all the evil leaders in Israel who wished to rid Israel of this great teacher who had taken all the attention away from themselves. And God using that as the very thing that would bring about our salvation. How sovereign is our God? When we look out and we see some of the wild things happening in our world, the corrupted leadership, the bad ideas. How do we view them? How does our, 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 our theology view them? Well, when we look at the scriptures, the way that we should view them is knowing God is sovereign. Does God will as a matter of first will that the people do these evil things? No, his first will always is that a king be good and that he lead and govern in good ways. Always his first will. And yet, if a king won't be good and if he won't lead in good ways, God knows that he wouldn't do that and God will use him for his good ultimately. What might God be doing in the world today? Look, we've, we've reached the end. It, there's, a, there's a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I know that Luke's read it, Blake's read it. I've read not all of it. I've, I've read a good chunk of it. And it's, it's really a, a good book, and he talks about the way we've moved as a culture into um, kind of the self. It used, self used to be identified by, you know, I came from my mom and dad, and I came from my grandparents. I'm a Mayfield. I'm a Mayfield down the line. I came from, uh, by the way, all my, all my ancestors are from Texas, so I don't know if that makes me a Texan by, by any stretch. I was told that if I, unless I was born here, I'll never be a Texan, but but I, I'm a Mayfield. I'm the son of a preacher. And I could describe myself in so many ways. I could describe myself by what I do and by who I came from. And I, our identity has moved more and more inward to where now we identify by what we are on the inside, by what we feel at any given moment. I feel this particular way, which means this must be what I am. It doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter what I was born as. This is who I am. The, some of these ideas, this is the very end of the self-movement. We've gone so far, and the interesting thing is I'm looking out as, an, as I'm watching. Some of the ideas have gotten so wild that it's stirring people who would otherwise remain in slumber and it's stirring them toward God. I've seen so many testimonies of this. People saying, the people I was with, the people I was associating with, where I was, the side I was on, got so wild in their thinking that it made me think, what's happening? And then they start seeking out God. Isn't that amazing? And we're seeing it. God was, is it God's will that men ever be led badly? No. 
But God gives leaders the freedom to lead badly. But he's sovereign enough that even when they do, it won't have permanent destruction. And I believe that we have reason to be greatly, greatly, greatly hopeful. We can look out and we can look up. We can see some things we wish they were not that way and we will continue to send forth truth in the world. And there's a growing number who are actually listening to this and desirous of this. I alluded to some this morning who are turning to some of these guys that before were just kind of on the peripheral. God is working. People are waking up. And I do think that great good is ahead of us. So... I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is Jesus talking, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is the idea of being set up as a king. It doesn't mean that he immediately became the son of God at that moment. He became the king at this time. And God says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You go to the book of Daniel and you see God's sovereignty in knowing who would rise to power. And knowing that God knows. He knew who would ascend to power. He knew what order it was going to be in. And God was going to be involved in all of it. And God's big plan was to give all the nations, all the peoples to King Jesus. The nations, as we see them and understand them, would no longer exist because Jesus would be sovereign and king over all. Now he ends with this conclusion. He says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. He's talking now to the kings. God is talking to earthly kings. God is talking to earthly rulers, earthly presidents. This is God's first will. O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. And here is his will for them, for all of them, wherever they are. Whether they're the leader of Saudi Arabia, or the Cayman Islands, or the United States of America. And this is what he says. He says, be wise, be warned. And he says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. God's desire is that they would serve God with fear and rejoice with trembling. And he says ultimately this to the leaders of the world. Kiss the sun. I believe in the song that we sang, it says pay homage to the sun. That's the idea here. It's the idea of getting down on your knees and, and kissing the ring of the king. Paying homage to the king. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Jesus is the sovereign king over all the world. And when men are wicked and when men are corrupted, God is still sovereign and he will use those things for good in the ultimate sense. Now what should you and I do? Two things. Number one, the leaders of the world particularly the leaders of Texas, the leaders of the United States of America, whoever they are, whoever makes it into that office, whoever sits in that position, it doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden or some other person, whoever's in that position, what we need to do is pray for them. 
In the New Testament, this is what he says. I command you to pray for them. Pray for all who are in authority and high positions. Pray for the kings because God wants for you to lead a faithful and quiet life. So pray that they would lead righteously so that we could lead faithful and quiet lives. And also God gives a second reason. Pray for them because God desires everybody to be saved. And God would have even those kings to be saved. Pray for the kings. Whoever they are, even if your guy doesn't get to that position, pray for him. We're not to lambast. God is in heaven doing what he's doing. Our duty here is to be faithful, to be respectful, to honor the king, and to pray. Pray for them and also disciple them. Disciple them. John the Baptist wasn't afraid to go to the highest places in society. John the Baptist went right to the house of Herod. And he said, it's not lawful for you to be married to that woman. What happens to him? He was, his head was cut off. But he wasn't afraid to do it because he knew who was in control. He just went and he was faithful to the task of God. You get to the end of the book of Romans. And you get this indication that the gospel had reached the household of Caesar. Caesar is the most powerful man in the world at the time. And the gospel had reached him. At the end of Matthew in chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, we know this verse very well. But maybe we don't know this part of it. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? Isn't that what this psalm is saying? Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession didn't God say when you ascend to the position of king you'll be that one and so Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go into all the world and the way that it reads in Greek is make disciples of the nations it doesn't say go make disciples in the nations which we are to do. He says, make disciples of the nations. And the idea was of the church having a leavening influence of the gospel and an influence of light that pervaded the peoples and pervaded the cultures and ultimately with the goal of just getting everybody in our whole area onto the side of the gospel. Our mission here in Abilene is to get all of Abilene to be disciples. It's a big mission. That's the mission. What will happen with it? Only God knows. And yet we go out with the intention of doing this. Pray for the kings. Pray for the nations. Disciple the nations. And trust in the sovereignty of God. He is not lax. He is not distant. He's watching and he is working. We're going to sing the psalm again and then Luke will have an invitation. Why do the nations rage and peoples fly?
for your message tonight. I'm so glad you're a part of this family. And, and that's what we are. We're a family. Maybe tonight's lesson or, or, or maybe the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart and, and you are struggling in some way. Uh, if you have any issue uh, that uh, ha- has been eaten away at you, we have elders, we have ministers, we have uh, family members here uh, that can help you at this time. We're about to offer an invitation. And if you'd like to come forward and speak to someone, you can do that. If you'd like to find us afterward, you are welcome to do this. But at this time, I invite you to stand as we sing together in Christ alone. Amen.